My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. The school board's got a big debate going on this week. It's all about a recent reading assignment for the seniors at James Maury Henson Memorial High School. Seems the English teacher, Mr. Soames, assigned the classic tale of Frankenstein, the one about the scientist who decides to build himself a man. And he does, too, but things go awry, see, because the fella he puts together is plum ugly. And pretty irritable, too, as it turns out, killing and maiming all over the shop. Thus the story, it may not be everybody's cup of tea, or so I'd say, based on that last board meeting. That's where a group of parents, led by Henry Cal Brown, protested the assignment, saying they don't want their young'uns exposed to stories about soulless abominations. That book's a do-it-yourself kit for bringing the dead to life, exclaimed Henry. And what's the final exam? Defy God and build yourself a monster? Then he turned to his wife, Narina. If our son builds Frankenstein in the barn, I swear I'll whoop that boy. You ever read the book, asked Trace Milligan, the board president? Never have and never will, says Henry. I'll leave that trash to the Episcopalians. I just thought, says Trace, that reading the book might facilitate your knowing what's in it. I know all about Frankenstein, says Henry. It's a guy with a flat head who's all sewn together, and he comes to life when he's hit by lightning. Then he put his hand over his mouth. Oh, heck, says he. I just let out the recipe, didn't I? Well, don't try that at home, folks. It'll only lead to disaster. Anyway, the controversy goes on, but it also served to remind me of an event from childhood. I'm talking about back in the days when we had a real honest-to-goodness movie house here in Trouveau. It was called the High Town Theater, and it was right on Main Street, serving up a new double feature every Saturday. Not that I got to visit it much. I mean, truth is, when I wasn't in school, I was helping my daddy at the plow, and when I wasn't doing that, I was in church. So I had little exposure to the silver screen. But one morning, I, I think it was in October 1962, I overheard Daddy say something to Mama. I heard him say, I was just sitting here thinking of that Bible verse. You know the one I'm talking about? No, says Mama, you'll have to specify. Oh, you know, I'm talking about, about that one, you know. No, I do not know, comes the reply, because I have not the gift of clairvoyance. Well, says Daddy, I was thinking about the Ephesians, that uh, chapter 5, verse 28. You know it, right? 528. Mama paused a moment and then said, Oh, oh, good heavens. Well, if that's the case, maybe I've got one for you then. That would be uh, Corinthians 7-3. Really, says Daddy. Uh-huh, says Mama. And maybe 7-9 to boot. That's so, says Daddy. Well, in response, I'll just make mention of Proverbs 5.19. With that, Mama gasped and said, Pemberton Lee Gray, you old rascal, you're making your wife blush. Well, overhearing this, I couldn't really say why my folks were carrying on so, but I did anticipate how thrilled they'd be to learn that I, too, had memorized my Bible. So I joined them in the kitchen, and I says, 
I know that one. Proverbs 5.19 Let her bosom satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her. Oh, Lord, says Daddy, I forgot he was here. Then he fetched his old leather wallet from his back pocket and pulled out a dollar. Here, he says, go to the picture show, would you? But Daddy, says I, you said the flickers are full of sin and depravity. To which he replied, well, uh... I'm sure what they're showing today has fine Christian values. Really, says I. What's the name of them photo plays? Daddy threw up his hands. I don't know. Just get out of here. So before he could change his mind, I ran out the door and down the dirt road to town. When I got to the theater, sweaty and out of breath, I observed the day's offerings on the marquee. And what was being exhibited that very afternoon? None other than a double dose of horror, i.e., those twin tales of terror, Frankenstein and its spine-tingling sequel, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. I saw that my good friends Samuel Crow and Dees Quintel, offensive linemen and quarterback respectively from our Sandlot football team, the Alfalfa Kings, were already online for the show. I greeted them enthusiastically, and they were stunned to see me take my place online behind them. I thought your daddy almost never let you go to the movies, says Samuel, to which I replied, well, he did today. My friend asked what changed his mind, and I answered, it seems to have something to do with the Bible, though I don't know what. Well, says Dees, I just hope these pictures are good and scary, because I like them like that. They showed one last year about these saucer men, and that was terrifying. It even had this hand, see, that got cut off one of the spacemen, and instead of just laying there, it grew an eye and ran around causing trouble. I mean, it don't get scarier than that. Oh, yes, says Samuel. Well, little green men ain't got a chance against Frankenstein and the Wolfman. They're so horrifying, I'll bet you don't get even a wink of sleep tonight just thinking about them, too. You'll be so scared they're under your bed, you'll be calling for your mama. Suddenly, a large shape pushed my friends aside to cut in line in front of them. And who would be so dastardly as to break the social contract of first come, first served? Why, it was none other than that school bully, Ransom Joe Sweet. Now, see, Ransom Joe, he was our age, but a big boy, a full six inches taller than the rest of us. And he didn't mind letting us know that, for he'd often throw his weight around, so to speak. He was quite the one, in fact for knocking books out of your hands and shoving freshmen into lockers, and even going so far as to steal lunch money. Why, so intimidating was he that if he called you out after class, you were well advised to go home early with a tummy ache. Consequently, none of us said a single dang thing when he cut in front. You little pea-babies gonna be scared, says he, having overheard our conversation. Well, I ain't gonna be scared. I'm just here because I think these pictures are funny. Again, we stood silent and sort of looked down at the sidewalk. But he just continued, saying, I hope you pea babies are wearing your diapers, because you'll be wetting yourselves. That's right, you'll have soaked pants while I'm laughing. Then he grabbed Dees by his shirt collar, pulled him up on tiptoe, and says, What are you, boy? Dees gulped. A pea baby? That's right, says Ransom Joe. Then he released my friend and ended the conversation by spitting on the boy's shoe. This belligerent encounter was enough to raise the hackles of even a forgiving Christian, but just then the line started to move. Consequently, our state of intimidation was replaced by exuberance as we entered the theater and took our seats. 
This can't be scarier than War of the Colossal Beasts, says Dees. That monster was like a thousand feet tall and had the face of a squashed-up jack-o'-lantern. Frankenstein ain't a thousand feet tall. But he's ugly as the Colossal Beast, says Samuel, to which Dees replied, No, he ain't. In fact, in comparison, he's downright handsome. Anyway, the debate was cut short as the lights came down, and didn't the crowd just start to cheer? Malted milk balls and popcorn kernels flew overhead as the packed house anticipated the arrival of the hobgoblins, anticipation that only grew as we sat dutifully through previews of coming attractions. As I recall, one was for a flicker called Air Patrol, and another about the mighty red warrior Geronimo, and after that a picture called Girls, 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 starring Mr. Elvis Presley himself. I knew Daddy'd never let me see that one, because he'd have no truck with rock and rollers, especially those guilty of lascivious hip action like Elvis was. Anyway, next came a couple animated cartoons, and Lord, I know he's meant to amuse, but I have to ask, why does that Sylvester put himself through such trauma just to chase after Tweety Bird? I mean, there's no meat on that fowl, so he ain't worth eating. Maybe he's like the rest of us, just wants what he can't have. I had little time to ponder, however, because the ephemera at last concluded and the real entertainment began. The title, Frankenstein, ladies and gentlemen, flashed before our eyes, and the fear-inducing yarn began to unspool for our delectation. The mad doctor robbing graveyards, the electrical storm that brought his unholy creation to life, and the murderous mischief that followed. It all made us thrill and cower before the monster got burned up in a windmill fire. But was the creature dead at all? No, sir. Because in the next one, Frankenstein meets the wolfman. He's sleeping in the ice neath Frankenstein's castle. Till he's freed by a man, what the full moon turns wolf. At the climax... The monster and the wolfman are fighting over the heroine of our story. The man made man roaring and waving his arms while the wolfman comes at him all claws and teeth. As I recall, there were two girls seated in front of us with one turning to the other to say, if it were me, I wouldn't have neither of them. A wise thought, and I'm sure she married well. Anyway, Frankenstein and the wolfman meet their end when some fellow blows up the local dam, sweeping our monsters away in a torrent of water. That was something, says Samuel, as we left the theater, squinting in the bright sunlight. Rip-roaring fights and murders and terror beasts being burned up and frozen and drowned. My heart's beating double time, says Dees. That was even scarier than the saucer men, and the saucer men were scary. I dasn't close my eyes this night, says I. Not after what I just witnessed. Suddenly we were shoved from behind, all three of us, so hard that we almost hit the pavement. You're all yeller, says Ransom Joe. They was boring, them pictures. And if I ever met Frankenstein for real, I'd just sock him in the jaw and knock him out. Then he pushed us aside and strode away down Main Street. Pee, babies, he called back and laughed his evil laugh. He would, too, be scared of real Frankenstein, says Dees, when the big boy was well out of earshot. I'll just bet he would. Yes, yeah, says Samuel. I wish he, there was a way he could meet that monster. Then we'd see all right. At which point I chimed in. I says, fellas, says I, there just might be a way to accomplish that. There just might be a way. Now let me explain something here. In those days, Daddy had a good and faithful farmhand named Gunner Blue. And Gunner, he was a mighty tall gent, easily six foot five, but thin as a rail. 
That's right, ate like a starving horse after a long day in the fields, but never seemed to gain an ounce. But he wasn't just a hard worker and hearty eater. That farmhand was a kindly soul, who like as not would have a passel of the town's children following him about, begging for tales of his naval adventures in World War II. It was during that conflict, incidentally, that he acquired the nickname Gunner, for he brought down legions of Japanese zeros from his 12-inch turret, and being the indulgent type, he'd tell the kids those tales. So, knowing him to be so accommodating, we three friends prevailed upon him to join in a prank against the nefarious Ransom Joe. We want you to be Frankenstein, says I, and scare that bully what's been bragging how courageous he is. Oh, I don't know, says Gunner. I ain't no pretty boy, but I don't think I'm that ugly. No, no, says Samuel. We'll gussy you up to look like Frankenstein. Then you'll sneak up on Ransom Joe and terrify the bee Jesus out of him. Well, says Gunner, I don't like a bully, and if it's all in good fun, then, boys, I'm in. With that settled, we went to work on our monster, and wouldn't you know it, we found everything we needed right on Gray Farm. Out in the cornfield was a scarecrow, see, garbed in a raggedy jacket and trousers, the perfect ensemble for a horrifying creature. So we, quote, unquote, borrowed those clothes, and then, back in the barn, we sawed an old paint can in half, so we could stick the bottom over, over Gunner's noggin. That gave us the monster's flat head, which we secured with a liberal dose of rubber cement. We need him to be green, says Samuel. Everybody knows Frankenstein's green. I shrugged and says, all we got is the red paint left in the other half of the can. So we agreed that it'd have to do, and with some brushes found next to the can, did up our monster's face all crimson. You sure this is going to come off, says Gunner? The thing on my head and all this paint? Sure, says I. A little turpentine and elbow grease, you'll be back to your old self. Now you gotta practice being Frankenstein, says Dees. How do I do that, asks the kindly farmhand. So Dees showed him, walking around the barn with stiff legs and arms held out front. Grr, he growled. I am Frankenstein. Fear me. Gunner followed suit, and darned if he wasn't a natural at it as he tromped about making low guttural sounds, the goat bad, and our milk cow tornado took a few steps backward. So intimidating was this odd creature in our midst. With our monster good to go, the adventure we'd planned would take place after dark, so we had our horrific friend hide in the hayloft for the rest of the day. I wonder where that gunner got to, says Daddy at supper. He disappeared this afternoon, and I have not seen him since. Likely he went to town on an errand, says Mama, for he is the embodiment of Colossians 3.23. Work willingly at whatever you do, as if you were working for the Lord rather than the people. Speaking of, says Daddy, those Bible verses sure got a workout today, didn't they? And at that Mama blushed, though to this day I have no idea why. It was past nine o'clock when I snuck from my bed, dressed and headed for the barn where... As we'd agreed, I met Dees and Samuel. I hope the folks don't catch on that I'm not home asleep, says Samuel, or likely I'll be in big trouble. Bigger even than that fellow who taunted Frankenstein with fire. <clears throat> if this plan comes off, says Dees, it'll be worth getting in Dutch, just to, look, just to see the look on Ransom Joe's face. With that, we retrieved our ersatz monster from the loft. I'm sure, I'm sure glad you boys showed up, says he, scratching at himself. I'm itchy as all get out in these duds. 
Really, says Dan, says Samuel. I didn't hear the scarecrow complaining, but Gunner did not laugh at the joke, perhaps in no mood for wisecracks after his hours-long sojourn in the hay. Still he was, as I said, long-suffering in his indulgence, and did not shrink from his commitment to our prank. So it was that, guided by a flashlight I'd filched from a kitchen drawer, three boys and a farmhand made their way down the road to the farm where Ransom Joe resided with his family, a family comprising his two brothers and little sister, along with his mama and paterfamilias. Once there, we crept along the side of the clapboard house, Red Cedar, I believe, with our plan being to knock on the bully's window and then have Gunner scare him with grunts and growls. Trouble was, the rooms were so dark we couldn't find our target. How can we scare him if we don't even know where he is, says Dees. I hope you boys can hurry up, says Frankenstein, scratching even harder than before, because I'm awful itchy. Here's an idea, says I, and I gently placed my hands on a window sill and pulled upward. The window gave, and I slowly and quietly continued to lift until it had opened all the way. Then I handed the flashlight to Gunner. Now you can go in and find him, says I. But the fellow was uncertain, asking, Ain't that breaking and entering? That's only if you go in to steal something, says I. For pranks, it's perfectly legal, maybe even encouraged. So our friend crawled through the window, a difficult exercise for his ungainly six-foot-five-inch frame, turned on his flashlight, and crept as quietly as he could across the floor. And that wasn't easy, considering he was wearing his farm boots. As for us three boys, we snuck from window to window, following the flashlight as it passed each door and shone inside to see who was sleeping there. At last, at the fourth door, the light played across the sleeping features of Ransom Joe, and we banged on the window to alert Gunner that he'd reached his destination. That caused the boy to stir and roll over, but then our Frankenstein turned on the bedroom light, and as we'd schooled him, walked and growled like a monster. Still, however, Ransom Joe, obviously a sound sleeper, refused to wake up, and what's more, the itchy clothes were getting the best of our horrific emissary. He started scratching all over his arms and tummy and then was seized by an attack southward and began to sc vigorously scratch there. To clarify, I refer to the nether regions, which one must not attend to in public. But so dire was the itch, Gunner could not help himself and began to dance about in extreme discomfort as his fingers raked the front of his trousers. It was this that finally caused our victim to awake, at which point Ransom Joe, apparently not so brave around Frankenstein, let out a high shriek, voided the contents of his bladder, and then fainted dead away. It was a moment later that the boy's daddy, in his nightshirt and carrying his 12-gauge, appeared in the doorway and, taking aim at the dancing, scratching invader, fired around at his head. As Gunner fell to the floor, Samuel, Dees, and I ran from the yard, fearing that we too would meet our demise at the business end of that rifle. It was next day we learned, to our considerable relief, that our friend had not been killed, since the bullet only went through the can atop his head and not the skull itself. He only fell because, like Ransom Joe, he passed out from shock. Unfortunately, he did end up in prison for a long stretch, having been convicted of breaking and entering after all, along with the crime of committing a lewd act in front of a minor. Seems the authorities didn't buy that it was all a misunderstanding caused by the fact that those clothes we stole from the scarecrow were, as it turned out, infested with fleas. Worse, 
He did most of his jail time wearing red paint in that can, which were harder to remove than we had anticipated, and which attracted a lot of unwelcome attention from the other prisoners. After his release, Gunner moved to parts unknown. His reputation shattered round here, and I can't help but think, after all these years, that I myself may have played some minor part in his downfall. But I've prayed for forgiveness, so I guess it's okay. As for Ransom Joe, I ran into him just the other day, as I do from time to time. He was being led round by his caretaker, still sporting that same deer-in-the-headlights look he had that night so long ago. It was a brief encounter, though, since he hasn't uttered a single word in 58 years. Besides, he'd soiled himself and had to be taken home. But just as the fellow was leaving, I whispered in his ear the same thing I've said to him every time we meet. I says to him, I says, Who's the pea baby now? Not that I expected a response. No, sir. Play me out, Zeke. <laughs>